Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful to be here in front of you guys again this week. Another beautiful Sunday here in Texas, McKinney, Texas, that is. And so thankful to have you guys here and with me in my home for church. And I want to welcome everybody coming from SoundCloud. God bless you and welcome every one of you coming from SoundCloud or or Facebook or wherever you're coming from all over the world. I want to welcome you to Gospel Saving Church, my home too. Welcome. It's like you're part of my family. Um, anyway, uh, praise be to God. I'm glad to be back up here teaching again. God's given me another awesome message, I think, and I uh, hope that the Lord speaks to you uh, through it as well, too, as he did to, through, to me this whole week. So if uh, you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll open up with my thoughts from, I got a couple thoughts from a couple last weeks here, because we got we to gotta move forward. So if you guys want to join me with a word of prayer, please, and ask the Lord to bless our hearts and bless this service. Lord, thank you so much for, uh, thank you so much, Lord, for joining us here today. Lord, because we know, Lord, in your word, it says that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you will be there. So, Lord, we know that there's more than two or three gathered in here in your name, Lord. And, Lord, we just thank you for, and we welcome you and your presence here in this room today. Thank you so much, Lord, for joining us, and thank you so much for your word, your holy word, as you were just showing me just this morning how, you know, directions, when we get something new, we buy something new, and we need directions to help put it together, Lord, how would we know what to do and how would we know how to put it together without directions, Lord? Well, how would we know how to live a life without your directions? Lord, your directions in your Bible and your word, Lord. Because we get this life, but there's no instruction manual outside of your word on how to live this life. There's nothing that comes at birth to parents to give the children, hey, uh, I, here's, the, here's the life manual on how to be a child, or here's the life manual on how to be an adult. No, how to be a parent. Nope, Lord, we have your word, and that's the only direction that we get. If we're, will, if we're willing to turn to it, that we get to, to know how to use this life and run this life and work this life. So, Lord, thank you, Lord, for giving us your direction and your guidance. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray that you continue to give us guidance here this morning. Help us to understand your word today. Speak to our hearts. And, Lord, let us be hearers of the word, Lord, and hearers of the word and doers, Lord, Lord of the word, not just hearers only. May you be glorified in the service, Lord. And Everything I say today, we love you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So now my thoughts from the last two weeks' messages. I actually have two thoughts because last week we didn't do one because it was a special message. Um, One, thoughts from the last uh, two weeks ago. The verdict to him was guilty and their sentence to him was death. And last week's message, the importance of prayer and the gospel wildfire. The Gospel Wildfire first. Last week, we listened to Brother Jonathan and me talk about the Gospel Wildfire and all that's happening all over the heavily persecuted world. And me talking about the importance of prayer as to why this atmosphere of this Gospel Wildfire is even able to happen. And that's prayer. Remember, we talked about how prayer even brings that atmosphere of that Gospel Wildfire. Um note on that big note on that just because we listened to brother jonathan last week speak about how that gospel wildfire is happening all over the world in the heavily restricted nations does not mean that we cannot experience a gospel wildfire in our area if you're not seeing one there already because if you're not seeing a gospel wildfire in your area then you if you love god and if you love man we need to be fasting 
We need to be praying. We need to be seeking God's face for him to send a gospel wildfire to our area, wherever that may be. Remember God's promise to his kids in 2 Chronicles 7.14, anybody that's walking with him. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, this promise that God gave thousands of years ago to his children, the children of Israel, and to any of us now that are his, is still valid. What God said thousands of years ago still applies to us, and we could still hold on to that promise, and we can still take God at his word and pray and seek his face and turn from everything evil that's in this world, and he'll hear our prayer from heaven and heal our land. So if you pray and seek God's face and take him at his word, just wait. If you really want a gospel wildfire to come to your area, then God will send one to your area if you ask and pray and seek. Salvation and repentance for mankind is God's will for humanity. Period. The end. So if we're praying fervently, daily, seeking God's face, God, please send a gospel wildfire to our area. And we really mean it. And I would even say, pray that God would send one to your area at any cost. What do I mean by that? Well, I had a discussion about this last week. I believe that I want God to send a gospel wildfire here to McKinney, Texas, and I don't care if it happens at any cost. That that means even if I lose my life under persecution to allow it to happen. Because this is how I feel, okay? I feel like we're going to die anyway at some point. I mean, whether I die today or tomorrow or 50 years from now, I'm going to die at some point. If I pray and really want God to bring a gospel wildfire here to my area and it it cost me my life and persecution for it to happen. Well, I was going to die anyway. What a better way to die the way I feel. What a better way to die than to die, but for God to be bringing more people into the kingdom of heaven because I lost my life to allow it to happen. I mean, it's going to happen anyway, right? Today, tomorrow, 50 years. What if it's five years? Who cares? Death is coming for all of us. I would rather my death mean something. And if my death could mean thousands and millions of people entering the kingdom of heaven because my death started that gospel wildfire and that persecution. Remember the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. For that to happen, then so be it. That's what I want. But I love God and I love people too. And I just pray that God would send a gospel wildfire to our area and I pray you would too. And you would pray that he would do it at any cost. Now, end of that for my thoughts trying to get us back up to speed a little bit from my thoughts from two weeks ago's message. Their verdict to him was guilty and their sentence to him was death. Remember, that was the last section of scripture that we studied. That was two weeks ago, though, now. So I want to refresh this again. Remember back two weeks ago, we read about how the religious leaders had a trial for Christ, but they had already had a verdict of guilty on him and a sentence of death on him before the trial ever began. That was kind of the catch us up. What do I think about that? Well, I think that applies to our day today. I think that applies to our modern day today. That reminds me of how people judge Christ today. Because people still do. People still are judging Christ today, just like the religious leaders judged him guilty back then. People are still judging him a lie, and they're still judging him guilty even now. But it's not fair. Because a lot of people judge Christ, but they only judge him because of what they've heard 
about him. They don't judge him on what they know intimately about him, like if they've studied him out, or like if you see a person, you know that old saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, it's not good if I just see somebody across the board and say, oh, I'm going to just judge that person. Oh, that person's evil. That wouldn't be right, right? It would be okay, though, if I got to know them. And then I can lay down intimate judgment upon them. Like, well, like even judgment upon, like, not bad judgment. Like getting to know somebody. Wow, that person's really nice. Oh, wow, that person's really fair. That person's really kind. That's a judgment. You're making a judgment on the fact of how nice they are or how mean they are. Right? But you've got to get to know them first. But it's not right to lay any kind of judgment or any kind of preconceived notion, that's another word to say, upon somebody that you've never met. Well, so many people judge Christ before they meet him or before they know him or before they read about him intimately. They judge him wrong or a lie and they miss out on knowing the real him and what he's really like. So if that's you today and you're listening to this message I implore you, please don't judge Christ wrong or a lie on what you've heard about him. Please check him out personally for yourself to see who he really is in God's word. And and where would you find that? The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And please don't just read them over because I've met a lot of people that have read the Bible. Yeah, I've I've done that. I've read the Bible. But the problem is, is they've read the Bible, but they're reading it like a novel. Or like some encyclopedia, just, you know, just, just reading it just to read the word. Now, I, I ask you, instead of just reading it like that, read it slowly. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and read it with one simple question in your mind. And be as you're reading it, have this question in your mind, please. And this is how you'll get to know who Christ is so that you can make an appropriate judgment upon him. Read it with the question of, why did Jesus really come to earth? Just as you're reading, just that one simple question. Why did Jesus really come to earth? And I can guarantee you, if you read the word or listen to the word or study the word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels of Christ, with that one question, not quickly, but intimately, reading it slowly, taking it all in, getting the context of it, the answer to why Jesus really came to earth will melt your heart and it'll blow you away and it'll change your life but if you just judge him wrong or a lie because of what you heard about him you'll never come to the real knowledge of him and what he's really like and you really you'll be missing out and your miss out will be for all eternity because you'll ne- if you don't know him now because you don't care to know him now you're not going to care to know him for all eternity so you're going to cut yourself off from, from for all eternity just please Go and check him out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and don't judge him by what you've heard about him. All right, on to this week's message. Title, The Terrible End of Judas the Betrayer. Let's read Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. Again, the title, The Terrible End of Judas the Betrayer. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1, if you want to read along with me. Bible says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, Jesus, that is, being condemned, was remorseful. 
and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, Is it not lawful? Or it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and brought with them the potter's field, or bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they had, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now, if you're asking yourself, and you're wondering, and you're thinking to yourself, you've got a question in your mind, and you say, hey, Pastor Ed, in the last section of Scripture that we studied, Matthew 26, 57 through 68, and didn't we miss, after that, didn't we miss Matthew 26, 69 through 75? How come we're already in Matthew chapter 27? How come we missed a section of scripture, because you know, if you know me and you've been listening to me for a while, as I've been teaching, you know that I teach verse by verse by verse. And maybe you're saying, hey, what happened? Did we skip? Because you teach verse by verse by verse. Well, that's a good question, but the answer is no. I didn't skip Matthew 26, 69 through 75. Uh, I already taught that section of scripture in the sermon title, It Happened Just As Christ Said. Remember that day we studied Jesus' prediction of Peter's denial, and we studied that fulfillment of that, and that's exactly what we did not read over again. We didn't read uh, 69 through 75, where we read about the actual event of Peter denying Jesus right there in the midst of Jesus' worst time. So, after saying all that, I want to start our section of Scripture. I don't want to leave anything out or leave any questions in anybody's mind, because yes, I do teach verse by verse. So two weeks ago, before we had our special message from uh, last week from Brother Jonathan and me, we read about the ridiculous trial of Christ, where they judged him guilty and gave him the sentence of death even before the trial ever began. Today, we read our first part of our scripture. We read about the next thing that happens to Jesus with the end account or the last segment of Judas's life, the betrayer Judas's life. So in verse 1, we read over again, we read about the first thing that happens to Jesus after now he's been condemned by them. We read verse 27 or chapter 27 verse 1 he says Bible says when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Notice it says when morning came. Well remember they had a very late night or a very early morning trial against Jesus, remember? It was very, very, very late at night. I'm talking like, we're talking 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, or even 1, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. They had a very late trial. Remember, they wanted to keep that trial hidden from the masses so that people wouldn't know what was happening and they could have defended him, all these thousands of multitudes of you know, his followers. They had this trial kind of discreetly you know, and deceitfully. Well, here, when morning came, 
the religious leaders got together and they had to figure out when the official morning time came. Now this would be sunlight, it's daytime now, it's bright outside where everybody's up now. It's talk, we're talking about a f- official morning time. So as morning comes, the religious leaders get together and they have to figure out how now to help or, or make the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, agree with them on the sentence of death for Christ. So they've passed their sentence of death for Jesus. Now they have to figure out how to get Pontius Pilate to agree with them or to believe their sentence of death. Verse 2, then next we see that, And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So they bind him again, I believe. I believe that he was bound while they were beating him. And then you understand that, since the trial was so late at night or so early in the morning that they probably, since they were at, you know, since they were at the uh, high priest's courtyard in his house, they probably had Christ in a room. They probably had some guards at the room and he was in like type, you know, something like a jail cell while he was waiting to go see Pontius Pilate the next day. So, they probably untied him just to stick him in this room so he could be, you know, because he was guarded and it like, wasn't like he could escape. So then here we read that they bind him again, I believe, and now they're going to, they, they take him away to meet the governor, Pontius Pilate, to, you know, the one that had been officially given the authority to go ahead and give him the official death sentence. Remember, uh, the, the Romans had taken away the ability of the Jews to murder the people that let's say, you know, were breaking their law. The the Romans had taken that away, and now the Romans had the authority to sent to, to sentence somebody to death, but the Jews did not. So that's all we get. We see that they take him, they bind him again, they ship him off to Pontius Pilate, they deliver him, but that's all we get. Then Matthew stops there. He it's like he just wanted to let us know what the next clip was of Jesus. You know, hey, like where did Jesus go? Hey, this is where he went. But notice Matthew doesn't continue on talking about Jesus. Matthew decides there in our next couple of verses, he decides to hold off telling us about the official account of the final meeting between Pilate and Christ. He holds us off to give us the terrible account of the end of the betrayer Judas's life. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 we read, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, that would be Jesus, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was, re- was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, verse 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So, we switch scenes. Verse 3, it looks like, as I didn't really realize earlier, it looks like there was somebody else at the trial of Jesus. Looks like Judas was there as well, too. Remember, we talked about Peter and John and all of the high priest servants being there, but it looks like Judas was looking on as well, too. So Judas was there as well. So Judas sees this whole trial go down. He sees their unfair sentence of death against Christ. He sees, obviously, all the false testimony. He watches it all go down. And then he sees that they go and they deliver him to Pilate in the morning. And we know, and he knows, that they're going to push Pilate for a sentence of death because that's exactly what they already put Jesus under, a sentence of death. So he realizes, wow, 
I've done something very wrong. I've betrayed an innocent man. Judas knew that Christ had done no wrong. Judas knew that Christ wasn't guilty of any sin. Judas, I'm sure, was there when, when Jesus was saying, hey, destroy this temple and, and you know it'll be rebuilt in three days. And he knew he was talking about his body. He knew that their false testimony against him was wrong. Judas knew that Jesus was the Son of God, the literal Son of God. Judas didn't doubt that at all. He saw the miracles of Jesus, the turning of water to wine. I'm sure he witnessed all of them. Okay, Judas is with Christ for three and a half years. So he realizes that, wow, they didn't just want to question Jesus. They want to put this innocent man to death. So in the midst of him seeing all this, the Bible tells us there in verse 3, that he becomes remorseful. And what does he do? He goes back to the religious leaders and he takes that 30 pieces of silver that they paid him to betray Jesus and he throws it down at his feet. Now you may have a question in your mind right now. You may be thinking to yourself, as many people do, I wonder if this step by Judas was a step of repentance. I wonder if Judas really repented here and if he really got saved, because I mean, after all, he betrayed you, you know, Jesus. And of course, that's a horrible thing. And probably, you know, the person to betray Jesus, that definitely hell for them. But many people are actually torn whether Judas here took a step of repentance unto salvation or not. And why? Because of his action here. He sees that he's done something wrong. He gets remorseful. Oh, whoa, what have I done? He comes back to the religious leaders. He takes back the money that he was paid, and he throws it down at their feet. I don't want this anymore. No, here, you take it back. So because of this action, many people think that Judas actually did repent, actually did turn to God, and he actually did become what you'd call saved, as saved as Judas could have been, because really until Christ died and resurrected, there was no born-againness because there's only those that are born again can enter the kingdom of heaven. So nobody could have been really saved like, like we can now when Judas was, even when he killed himself, because there was no such thing as real salvation then until Christ was resurrected. So I have to ask you, seeing what Judas did here, what do you think? Did Judas really repent and turn to God or not? Did Judas really, you think, have a change of heart and really turn to God and get saved? I personally, I don't think so. I'll explain why. There's a few reasons why I don't think that he did, but you can make up your own mind and you can kind of be thinking, hey, I wonder if Judas really repented. I'll give you the reasons and then you can think on your own and, you know, whatever you feel in God. I think it's not scriptural to believe that he did get saved, but you have to make up your own mind on that as many people are torn. But I'll talk about that in a few moments as we read on. So off of of Judas for a moment. What is the religious leader's response to Judas's action with this money? Read the rest of verse 4 there. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Hey, I don't care. I, don't, I mean, that's what we wanted. You did it for us. 
What, what is that to us? What, what, what do we care if your conscience convicts you, Judas? This is pretty much what they're saying to him. I don't really care about what you said. They're, not, they're, they're saying here to him, to us in the Bible, God's writing this down for us. We're not remorseful in the slightest bit, Judas. We're not remorseful in what we've done. And so what do they do? They throw the blame right back on him. You see to it. We don't want anything to do with that. We, we got what we wanted, and thank you for helping us. In fact, they don't even really thank him. Yeah, we got what we wanted. You, you see to it. That's sad. That's real sad. Judas then, verse 5, he throws down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, and he went, and he hung himself. Judas throws down the money in front of them, which is obviously a rejection of their offer to him. He doesn't want that anymore. He's, he's done with it, which I could possibly see. That, that looks like, you know, that looks like a step of repentance. That looks like, you know, that looks like a turning, a changing of his heart. That looks like that. I could see that. But then he leaves from that step that he takes there, and he goes and he commits the cowardly, horrible act of suicide. Or he takes the easy way out to escape the thought of his betrayal of the innocent man Christ that really would have haunted him the rest of his natural human life. See, Judas realized, I sinned. I betrayed an innocent man. Well, in case you realize this or you don't realize this, I I had even mentioned this last night with my family or even this morning with my family about this, but sin, when you commit sin, when somebody commits sin, it's collateral. You ever heard of that word collateral damage? That doesn't mean like if, if you if you you know if you step on a little maybe a little bug, they're just gonna squat under your under your shoe. But if you blow up a car, that car is not just gonna get blown up. When you stick a stick a dynamite under a car and you blow up a car, that car's gonna blow up, but then that blow up is gonna not just stay in that one little section of that car. That car's gonna blow up and metal's gonna fly everywhere. Metal's gonna fly across the street. Metal's going to fly. If you're close to it, that metal, that shrapnel will come to you and it'll get you and possibly kill you. Collateral damage means that there's damage not just in one spot, but a damage in one spot turns into damage over a lot. And here, sin, we see sin is collateral too. Judas sinned. And therefore now his sin didn't just affect Jesus. His sin affected his conscience too. He couldn't live with himself because of the knowledge of what he did. His sin affected Jesus, it affected him, and it affected all his disciples immediately. All his disciples were completely destroyed. They they fled from him. His betrayal of Christ in the garden, that's sin. And all his disciples fled away. Sin is collateral. When someone sins, the effects now and after don't just affect you and others now, it affects others even for a long time. I've sinned in the past, and something that I did to sin a long time ago is even still recently, it, it, it's kind of coming into my life now. And that was a sin I'm talking 5, 10, 15 years ago. Sin affects, it's, it's collateral, it, it's, it's broad spread. And here we see Judas' sin affecting not only Christ, but him, and then, you know, especially the sin of betrayal or murder, that can, those sins can really stick with somebody for their lifetime. Now, you be, may, may be saying, 
Doesn't the fact that Judas threw the money back at them a sign of true repentance unto God? Personally, I don't think so. You'll have to make up your mind on yourself, but personally, I don't think I don't think so because right after he does this act, he goes and he cowardly kills himself. To me, all he did was show remorse, which means that he was sad. He showed sadness or remorse over what he did. This does not mean to me, or biblically even, that he repented of his sin against Jesus and turned to God. Did you know that you can be sad and remorseful without true repentance? Absolutely. If you wrong somebody, if you go and steal a car, let's say, and you feel really, 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 really bad about it, but then you never go and you turn yourself into the law or turn that car back over to who you stole it from, that wasn't, excuse me, that wasn't, that wasn't true remorse under, under repentance. That was just, well, I feel bad about what I did. Oh, man, I really shouldn't have done that. Oh, oh well, I guess that's just what it is. That's not repentance. That's just remorse. Oh, I feel really bad about what I did, but you don't do anything upon your remorse. Now, yes, Judas turned back in his money, but he never said sorry to God. He never repented before God. He never turned away from the sin of murder because then he goes and he commits his own murder right after. He doesn't ever repent. He only shows remorse. You see, repentance unto salvation is really a heart turning to God along with remorse. Now, remorse usually brings repentance, but remorse does not only mean that you, remorse, I should say, doesn't mean that you repent also. Usually true repentance involves remorse first. Yes, you know, I realize I'm wrong. Oh man, I feel what I did was wrong. I feel terrible about it. Number two, the second way remorse would lead to salvation would be you cry out to God for your forgiveness of your sin. Oh Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Oh Lord. And then you ask for forgiveness. And then three, the the remorse that leads to repentance would be then you turn away from your sin. And here again, like I just said, Judas didn't turn away from his sin. He felt bad. He had a partial step of repentance with the money, but then he goes and commits the same crime as he just committed against Jesus and he murders himself. Jesus gives us a picture of true repentance in Luke 18, 10 through 13. He says this, it's a parable. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So there's two men. One's a religious leader, one's a religious nut. And the other one is a tax collector, what the Jews would have considered a sinner. So the, the, rich, the, the, the religious leader here, he's, oh, Lord, oh, oh man, Lord, I, I thank you that I'm, you know, so godly. And, oh, Lord, you know, yet he's a sinner. But what does the tax collector do? He says, and the tax collector standing afar off, verse 13, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was crying out to God for forgiveness of his sin. And of course, then true repentance would have led him to stop cheating people, 
to stop doing evil. Not, oh Lord, I really feel sorry about what I did, and then I go and do the same murder or the same crime over and over and over and over again. To me here, I do not see Judas as going to the step, the full step of repentance. I see him feeling sorry about what he did and taking a step to just make his conscience feel a little bit better in turning the money back into them. But then the fact that he goes and he commits the same crime as he just sat there and was remorseful for does not show me that he repented at all. I do not see it at all. That's the first reason why I do not believe Judas was actually repentant unto salvation. There's other reasons, though. There's two other reasons, though. And those reasons are words that Christ spoke. And this first set of words are Christ at the Last Supper table or floor where he was sitting with his disciples. And he says this in Matthew 26, 24, with Judas there, he says, The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And now that would be Judas who did that. It would be good for that man if he had not been born. What is Jesus saying? Well, I, I mean, hanging, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a few moment experience. You're, you're dead within a, a minute or two, you're dead. That, that's not, I mean, um, some people suffer longer than that to die. Some people suffer years to die. So that wouldn't make it, to me, just because he hung himself and he killed himself, that wouldn't be good that he would not have been born. I mean, everybody dies. Unless Jesus is speaking of, it'd be better for that man if he wouldn't have been born, because guess what, if he's burning in hell forever... It would have been better if he wouldn't have been born because, wow, you know, he's going to spend an eternity in the flames of fire forever. That's another reason. I, I think that Jesus called him out and said he, he's not going to get saved. Judas, sure, he could have repented. Judas could have turned to God after he did what he did to Jesus, but he didn't. Instead, he just felt sorry for what he did. And then he wanted to make his, you know, he wanted to make himself feel better and, and you know, get the money off his, off his conscience because, you know, he's holding the money and he realized he betrayed innocent man. So that's number two. Number three is this prayer that Jesus was praying after the Last Supper or the Passover was over. Jesus was praying to God for his disciples and he says this, John 17, 12. He says, while, he was with them, while I was with them in the world in his prayer to God, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Well, we know that the only one that was lost was Judas, the son of perdition, the son of hell, is what Jesus was really saying there. Judas was a child of hell, and yes, he was lost. So with all this said, again, I will say I do not believe Judas died a saved man, Or I do not believe that when Judas hung himself and killed himself, he died and went to heaven. And after all, in a sense, once you committed murder, like Judas committed his own murder, when did he have time to repent of his own murder? Because he didn't. As he was dying, as he was condemning, as he was committing, you know, murder against himself, I, I just don't see it. I see a very terrible and sad end, though, to a very deceived man. That's what I see. And I see now he's spending an eternity in hell forever, which is so sad. But the evil-hearted religious leaders didn't really care about Judas or Jesus or the disciples or anything. So what did they do? Look at verses 6 and 7. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, 
it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Well, I just, as I was reading these things, the, the, the phrase, yeah, right, kept coming into my mind. What do you mean by, yeah, right? Well, look at that first part in verse 6. It is not lawful, they said, to put the price of blood in the treasury. In my eyes, since when were they considered about being lawful? These are the same people that just condemned an innocent man for doing nothing wrong. And yet they're concerned about being lawful? These are the same guys that just for show had a trial? A trial for what? A trial they already had him condemned even before the trial. They did not they 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 were not concerned about being lawful at all. Yet here they're so concerned about the blood money going back into the to the offering into the to the temple money and cuz they said, "Oh, well, it's not lawful." Well, yeah, right. Give me a break. These guys were not lawful at all, no matter what you think. They weren't lawful at all. They only wanted to look lawful in order to let the people think that they were lawful. They were not lawful at all. And then verse 7. Yeah, right. And they really loved the people. And they were concerned about being lawful. And look, at they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Yeah, right. They didn't love people at all. Here we see that they take the blood money. And what did they do? They, they take the blood slash betrayal money and they go buy a field that, guess what? To bury people in that weren't Jewish, that were in the land. Strangers or those who weren't Jewish, right? Which means that they didn't even love or respect Gentiles enough to bury them in the same graveyards as the Jewish people. Wow. Yeah, these guys were just full of love and compassion. Yeah, right. Eh, that's wrong. Just the opposite. These fellows were truly heartless and purely evil people. And here... They just show their real true colors even more here by their response to Judas and what they do with this blood and this betrayal money. Now, did their sin and Judas's sin just affect them or was it public? No, Matthew tells us that it goes public. Look at verse 8. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Do you know what that means? The fact that the field got named the field of blood shows me that practically everybody in Israel knew this is the field that was bought with the blood money from Jesus. This is that money. Oh, yeah, this is that money. This is that field that Judas, you know, that was bought with the money that Judas betrayed Jesus with and betrayed him to death with. So remember what I told you earlier about sin being collateral? Yes, Judas's sin affected all of Israel. All of the Jews knew, hey, this is that field. Go bury the Gentile that died here. Go, go, go bury him in that field. That's, hey, that's just the field. That's the field of blood. That's the, that's the field that Judas betrayed Jesus. You know, that 30 pieces of silver, that's the field that they bought. There. I mean, it's, sin is collateral. So the whole field gets nicknamed the field 
of blood. And Matthew finishes out this section of scripture telling us that God was not surprised as he foretold all of this happening hundreds of years before it happened. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then was fulfilled, Matthew says, what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom uh, they of the children of Israel had priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So Jeremiah the prophet spoke of this thing happening hundreds of years before Christ ever died, before Judas ever betrayed Jesus. And personally, I have to say at this point, I love prophecy. It's such a proof that the Bible is accurate and the Bible is correct. The Bible is always absolutely accurate. Now, out of all the people to die and go to hell, because I do believe Judas died and went to hell, out of all the people to die and go to hell since Christ came, I'd have to say that the account of Judas and the death of Judas and his eternity in hell has to be the most terrible and heart-wrenching one of them all. To me, you may be asking why. He was an evil man. Why, why is that the most terrible and heart-wrenching you know, one of them all, Pastor Ed? I mean, Judas, he was an evil man. Look at what he did. He betrayed Christ. Well... Here's why. As I said earlier, Judas hung around with the disciples and Jesus for three and a half years. He had lots of great spiritual benefits. He heard all the teachings of Christ, and we know those teachings were meant to bring people to salvation. And yet with all that he had, he saw the miracles. He was there. He saw what Jesus did. He saw how they treated him unfairly. Yet he was the one, even with all those benefits... He was the one that he did not take advantage of them. He ended up dying, going to hell, where he still remains today, and where he will remain for all eternity. To me, that's sad. Judas was so, so, so privileged. Judas had it all right there in front of him. He had the Son of God living before him, the very word of God being spoken to him all the time. And yet, he didn't take advantage of it, and he ended up dying and going to hell where he is now and where he wherever will still be. But we can't just look to Judas and his privileges. We have to look at right now there's an entire society at sharing some of the same privileges that Judas did, and yet a majority of them are wasting them and spending an eternity in hell just as Judas wasted his spiritual privileges and didn't do anything with them. He's dying in hell right now. And the people of this society that I'm speaking of, they're not only on their way to hell now, but there's been a majority of them in the past that have wasted these great spiritual privileges that they've had, and they're already spending an eternity in hell. And what society am I speaking of? Because I only know one personally, myself. The society that I'm speaking of personally right now is America and Americans. And why? The majority of these so-called American Christians and Americans as a whole that have lived and died and are still alive right now 
are all wasting their spiritual privileges that God has given this country. Most, even so-called American Christians and most Christians as a whole, all practice the things that God hates, but still profess themselves to be Christians. Most so-called American Christians think that abortion, which is murder, is okay. And they even end up having abortions. Yet God says, do not murder. One of the top ten of all time. God says, do not murder. Yet, Christians or so-called Christians in America think that abortion is okay. Most so-called Christians think that homosexuality and homosexuals and, and all that they practice and all that's okay. God loves them and they're just fine like they are. They can have whatever sexual preference they want and they desire it. Pastor Ed, they're born that way. And, you know, and they're still saved and on their way to heaven because, you know, God loves them too. Just because they have a sexual preference different than yours, who cares? God loves everybody. Yeah, God says in his word that homosexuality is an abomination to God. Pretty much, straight up, sadly, most self-proclaimed American Christians who I know and who I've met over the last 15 years since I've turned my life to Christ, live like this passage of Scripture that's in Galatians 5, 19-21, where Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And yet, many people who call themselves Christians and have all these great spiritual benefits, they all live in these things or they all, you know, they commit a lot of these things as a lifestyle without turning away. And Paul tells us, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have a whole society of Americans, of a majority of which consider themselves to be saved and on the way to heaven, yet a majority of which commit adultery. They're in fornication. They commit sorcery. They hate people. They're constantly in contention. They're jealous of everything. They outburst of wrath. Look at the anger and the rage that's in our country right now. They're in heresy. They teach against the Bible. They're in heresy. They're in envy. They're murderous. They hate people. Jesus said if you hate somebody without a cause, you're guilty of murder. And yet, as many spiritual blessings and spiritual privileges that we have in this country, most American Christians waste them and they live in sin. And look what Jesus said, not only Paul, look what Jesus said upon and to these people who are living like this, even no matter what they say, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, despite what they say, look what Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But listen, though, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And he says, look, Lord, I've done all these great things for you. Look, I've read your Bible. I know your Bible front to cover. I've done all these great things for Christianity. I've done these great Christian things. 
But yet Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, and then I will declare to them, verse 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice sin, even though you think I'm your Lord, even though you think you've done a lot of great Christian things, even though you call me Lord, I'm going to tell you I don't know you. Because, guess what? The majority of your life is spent in committing sin. The majority of your life is spent in practicing sin. Be gone from me. For it's only those who do the will of my Father in heaven that shall go to heaven. Now, yet just like Judas... American Christians have such amazing, wonderful spiritual privileges. You may be saying, what spiritual privileges do American Christians have, Pastor Ed? Well, you may not know this, but the average American household has about five Bibles in it. Five Bibles in the language that they speak. There are other countries, Pakistan, China, Indonesia, Russia, where Christians may have only one Bible per church. Ladies and gentlemen, here America has a minimum or an average of five Bibles in English or Spanish or whatever language they speak in their household. Yet in other countries, they have one Bible or five Bibles for a church of a hundred. They have to share their Bibles, ladies and gentlemen, in China. One Bible may be for a church of 50 and they have to tear out the pages and each Christian may get a page for that week or that month. Then they have to come back and they have to trade it. But yet we have a minimum or an average of five Bibles in every American household. We in America here have things on the internet called the Blue Letter Bible. So we can do a Google search or type in Blue Letter Bible and we can have a concordance. We can see the Bible in multiple languages. We can see the Bible in the King James and we can have a concordance and find out the original, uh, original meanings to those words. And we have all that. We have Bible Gateway. We have Bible Hub. We have the internet to search the Bible. Well, that's not it. We have more. We have Bible apps for our, for our personal super smartphones, as people call them. And this Bible app, this one particular Bible app called the YouVersion Bible app, and in case there are any real Christians that are listening to me out there, there is an app called the YouVersion Bible app. And this, ver- this Bible app has 1,115 versions available. And that would all be for 799 languages. And a whole bunch of majority of Americans have smartphones. And they all have the ability to have this super smart Bible app. That almost has 800 languages and 1,115 versions available. That would be for all those languages that are supported. And on this Bible app on your phone, or you can go on the internet and watch this, you can either read the Bible in 1,115 versions or 799 language. You can listen to it and all that. And you can even watch Bible TV. That's what we got in America. That's just a little. As well as other. There's all kinds of Bible apps or listening Bible apps on our smartphones. That's that arena. You can Google on your internet. Majority of Americans have internet. You can Google any Bible answer or question and it'll come up. Any question about the Bible? Google it. It'll come up. 
you can Google any proof of the Bible, like prophecy, archaeology, history, and there you'll have it. It just, boop, pops up. How many times did Christ talk about this? What did Christ say about the end of the world? Boop, and there it is. How many, how many years before Christ lived did the Bible say that, it, that he came? Boop, then there it is. It'll pop it up. It'll show you the prophecy. It'll show you the throne. We have all these great spiritual privileges. All the proof of the accuracy and the inerrancy of the Bible and all the answers galore that we want. Yet with all these great spiritual privileges that we have, American so-called Christians live in the most wicked sins and they're on their way to hell. People know the Bible here so well, but they don't live it. If you've ever wondered, every time I pray, and I probably close our prayers a lot of times in this, I say, Lord, help us, those that are listening, not to be just hearers of the word only, but help us to be doers of the word. America has a Judas problem. America has a hearing problem. We hear the word only, but we don't do it. We hear it. Oh, it sounds really good. But then when it comes down to doing what God says, people aren't interested in that. People aren't interesting, interested in Jesus being their Lord. They just want a feel-good message. And this is our problem in America. And we have many of them. We have a Judas problem. And it's a very sad indeed. I'm not sure how much or how many of these amazing spiritual privileges other others in wealthy nations have, but there's one thing true that is true for sure on 100%. If you have all these ama- amazing spiritual privileges and claim to be a Christian, but you don't live like Christ and you don't try to pattern your life after Christ and you don't live in the ways he told you to live and you've never repented and turned to him and have surrendered your life to him and are following him, you're going to burn in hell forever. If this is you and God struck a nerve with these words I just spoke, then please, I pray today that you'll turn away from your sin and turn to Christ and live. You see, God doesn't care if you've prayed a prayer one time and you're like, Oh, Lord Jesus, I need you. Oh, Lord, please uh, please save me. Oh, Lord, uh, that's it. On Jesus' name I pray, amen. 20 years ago, if that prayer didn't mean anything to you or if after that prayer you went out and you just whatever, oh, you know, well, now that God loves me and I'm, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want, then the Bible says that you're not right with God. You can pray a one prayer all the time. But one prayer and all the biblical knowledge you can have means nothing if you will not apply the Bible to your life. If you do not repent, if you do not turn to God and surrender your life to him and live for him, and your life does not bear fruits of repentance, then the Bible says that that prayer was useless. That prayer meant nothing. And this is not repentance. It leads to salvation. So I implore you today, if this is you, turn to God and Christ with your whole heart and live for Him and live. Salvation is not one prayer, 
But salvation does start with a heart cry or heart prayer to God. As long as your heart is willing to turn to God, and you're willing to cry out to Him and ask Him for forgiveness, and you're willing to turn away from your sin, and you're willing to let the Bible be your guide, and that you would live your life after the Bible, and you're willing to turn your life over to God, and give Him the reins, and give Him the control of your life, then that prayer means everything. So today, if you're willing to truly repent, and stop living in sin, and truly ready to turn to God, then please do. But know that if you live in wickedness and you live in the things that God says he hates, even though you claim to be a Christian, you will die and you will go to hell. So please today, if you're not with him, turn to him right now and surrender your life to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today, Lord God. Thank you for, Lord, all that we read today, Lord. Even though it was so sad what happened to Judas, Lord God, and uh, Lord, I don't. I wish. I wouldn't wish hell on anybody, Lord. I wouldn't wish hell on anybody. It's the worst place that anybody's ever going to be, f- and it, it's a place of never-ending torment. So I pray, dear God, right now for those that may be listening to this message that are not right with you, and yet they think that they're right with you, or those that aren't right with you, and Lord, they pray be prayed a prayer one time, but they know deep down that they're really not right with you because they never really truly surrender their life to you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn. Today would be the day, Lord God, that they would surrender all to you and repent of their sins. Repent of the working of the, of the living in the sin, Lord God, because it has to stop. Even John the Baptist said, repent and bear fruits worthy of repentance. And that's a life of holiness, a life of us becoming more like you. Not a life of, oh, I I prayed a prayer and now I can go out there and do whatever I want. Please, God, show them that they're wrong, even if they think that they're right. And bring them to their knees, bring them to repentance, and save their souls. And I pray for all of us, your children out there, that have repented. And live a life of daily repentance. And live a life of, of getting away from sin and loving God and loving you, dear God. I pray, dear God, that we would stay that course and continue to do so. Continue to surrender to you and realize, as I just read a, a pastor say the other day, I need you more today than I did the day I knew you. I need you just as much today as I needed you the day I came to you. Lord, that's me. I need you more today, or as much today as I did the day I, I met you. And I'm there, Lord, and I can't do without you. I need you. I love you and I praise you and I thank you, dear God. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015, and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love Him back by the way you live your life. God bless you, and have a wonderful day.